0: Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage and find their voice. Hello everyone. And welcome to another episode of the Rising Tide podcast. I'm your host, Margaret
1: Winiger, and I have an amazing guest for you today. I really look at things more like let's make a deal in life rather than having goals, right? Just pick the best door. Don't get focused on, on too far down the future. Just pick the best door. And if you open it and there's a goat, start a goat farm. Meet Tamika Risch,
0: SVP of AMB Sports and Entertainment, the parent company to Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United professional sports teams. Tamika is one of the foremost leaders on corporate sponsorships in the NFL. Her team was responsible for hosting one of the largest COVID-19 vaccine locations in Atlanta, Georgia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And under her tutelage, the Falcons are ranked number one in voice of the fan. This special episode has two meaningful sections. The first half, Tamika shares the tumultuous journey that ultimately led to her full-time position at the Atlanta Falcons, including... A decision that nearly cost her everything she'd spent seven years working for. In the second half, Tamika is going to share incredible leadership lessons that she has learned throughout her prolific 17 year career with AMB Sports and Entertainment, where she has earned seven promotions.
1: I can't wait for you to meet this amazing woman. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Tamika. Hi, thank you for having me. Great to be here
0: we are just getting to meet for the very first time right now, which is amazing. I'm so excited for the conversation. And anytime I do these, I have to be very careful not to fangirl because I inevitably every time I look at somebody's background and I just get so excited for the conversation that I know is about to unfold. So what I love to do, Tamika, is kind of start people in like present day. So they get a flavor for what your day in the life looks like now. Will you tell us a little bit about your current role with AMB and what you're doing as the SVP of fan and associate experience?
1: I've been this role really since the spring and really excited. I added associate experience in the spring and was in fan experience. I've been in fan experience for about a year and a half now. And overall experience kind of work roughly since the the start of the pandemic. I'm looking at driveway to driveway experience for every event that we have coming into Mercedes-Benz Stadium and looking at how do we get 1% better. And if you've read Atomic Habits, I'm a big fan of that book. And it's not really your goals that matter. It's your process. And looking at the intentional efforts of of work that you can make change in the process. And so that's really the fan experience part of my work. And we've had incredible success at that over the past 18 months and went to number one and Voice the fan for the first time as a team last year in NFL history and made a lot of changes across the board. And then, you know, was asked by leadership, can we do the same process with our associate experience? And so can we lean into the associate experience and look at it from onboarding to exit and how does that experience go and, and how can we make it better? And then the, s- the second layer of that is is how do we connect to the teams? How do we connect our associates back to our brands and make sure that they have passion and pride and all those positive attributes that you think of for working for the organization that you do? So a little bit of fun. I love making other people have fun. Some would argue whether I have fun myself because I'm usually planning the fun, but (laughs) that makes me really, really happy to see others having a great time. That's, That's probably my my high is is watching uh, something resonate with an audience and them um, and really enjoying it the other layer of the job the one that i've had the longest since since summer of 2020 is really overseeing game day for uh, the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United and that is really our live events part of it so mm-hmm. you think of tailgating and and half times and all the pop up entertainment and all the creative you see on the the halo board is what we call our scoreboard I've had those two groups the longest, so since 2020, and then fan experience, really the analytics side of really kind of analyzing and then consulting and, and seeing change management come to life on more the operations side is what the fan experience is, and then most recently adding the associate experience in there.
0: Okay, so for those of us who are not as familiar, when you say associate, what does that
1: mean? So those are our colleagues, those are our staff. Primary focus right now is really our full-time associates and looking at that base and how do we start with that base and find ways. And then we have a very large part-time associate group, really, that largely fits under three pillars of where most of those associates come to life. And um, we have really strong groups running those, and we do a lot of focused effort on that already. So once we get the plan for our full-time associates in place, then we'll we'll roll over and probably find ways to layer things over that area. But we're number one guest service team in the NFL. We're the number one security team in the NFL. We're the number one food and beverage team in the NFL. And all of those are part-time workers that really stand that, that those areas up. That's incredible.
0: I mean, that's really incredible. And I think especially with so many of the headlines that are in the news today about just employment in general, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And and then especially in a service-based industry to be recognized as a top in your field is really incredible and remarkable and such a testament to you and your team
1: and the work that you're doing. It's amazing. Thank you. It's definitely a team effort. I mean, when we talk about number one, overall game day satisfaction, it really takes one employee to mess that up, you know, and that's any associate can do that from, from the moment the person that is that is selling you your parking all the way to the person that you're dealing with when you're coming through the gates to the president of the organization. Like everyone has a role in how that experience goes. And so always talk to the team about a chain, right? We, we talk about this a lot in sports and we're only as strong, no matter how long the chain is, we're only as strong as its weakest link. And mm-hmm. it takes all of us together to put together the product and it takes one of us to destroy it. And so- the intentionality that everyone has to do their job, like whatever your role in is, you're the only person doing that role, and if you don't do that role, it's going to be a miss for the organization. And so, as much as leadership may get the credit for for some of these accolades, like we do not fix parking without our off-duty officers that are working. It is a second job for them, and would be overtime if they're working their current job to move traffic around and that has been a huge help. If you think of the shortage of officers in general through through the last 3 years and and just where a lot of cities and municipalities are sitting with with officers and really proud to say that we're we're almost fully staffed in our off duty officers that support and our security team has done a great job. Uh, GWCC is manages that for us has done an incredible job of just putting us in a position that if you live in Atlanta, if you've been into Atlanta, you understand we struggle with traffic. We're okay. not the biggest city in the country, but we're in the top as it comes to people talking about traffic, right? right. <laughs> and we, we complete compete with places like LA that's got way more people with, with the amount of complaints of traffic. And right now, halfway through the season, we're sitting at number two in the NFL on departure, which wow. is absolutely incredible when you think of there's Midwest teams that have just major uh, interstates, big parking lots. We're sitting at number one in the NFL on arrival and you know that's a credit to people like marta and ways and you know uber and lyft all working together with us and having an open mind of like yes we have our hurdles if we know our hurdles you know any test that you give me i believe we can pass it if we know what the the questions you're going to ask right sure and we know the questions all right so what are those questions how do we answer them and how do we overcome the obstacles that we face and so Really, really proud of the arrival and departure scores this year, being where they are, gives me a ton of pride in just the amount of people that had to come together to pull that off. If we can make movements in those, I don't think there's a lot on the list that we we can't see progress in. Not perfection, progress. We're looking for progress. Right. Right, 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 right.
0: Yes you know you're you're like speaking my your my love language here when you're talking about even just asking the right questions and getting to the root causes and understanding what those are so that you can tackle them that the you know kind of the rest of it can fall in line if you but you have to solve for what's at the root of things that's so amazing this is such a huge scope and it has been this incredible journey to get here i want to go back in time a little bit because it is so fascinating to me understanding kind of the path to how somebody arrives where they are when we encounter you. So getting involved with franchise sports or working in sports management, when did this kind of come into your awareness that this was a potential career that you might be interested in?
1: Well, I've always had big dreams, even as a little little kid, but I never dreamt of working in sports. You know, when I was young, I was going to Hollywood, then I was going to be an astronaut, then the challenger blew up, then, you know, the, the career just kept changing from, this to that, and when I graduated high school, I said in my graduation speech that I was going to school to be a judge. And here today, I said in in this role, and I, I think sports and the justice system are are probably a little bit of ways apart. But yeah, you know, I really enjoyed. I still enjoy true true crime. I enjoy a good Friday night Dateline. But once I got to school, I had a really rough political science class and decided, you know, maybe I will go into journalism and use journalism to to showcase some of the, the things that I wanted to solve through the criminal justice system. And so I started journalism school at the University of North Carolina. My roommate was also a journalism major. She was in PR. And so as I was going through journalism school, I, I went from that to wanting to be a war correspondent. We had, you know, Anderson Cooper was a, he was on channel one when I was a kid, I believe. And like, there was just all of these things that we had a speaker from CNN come in and really motivated me that that's what I wanted to do and I'm praise God that is not the path I took because it would have been a a lot of challenges for a lot of reasons and and my parents probably wouldn't have slept as well as they do knowing that I'm I'm here in Atlanta but uh, I've always had a passion for fighting for those that others you know don't see and know what's going on so that's that's kind of where all of those threads they may seem disconnected and disjointed but it was all about fighting for those who may not have a voice and exposing those things that that needed justice. So I started working for the football team because there was an ad in the newspaper that they were hiring a videographer. And so I knew if I wanted to be a journalist I needed to be able to operate a camera. Sure. So I was probably going to go to some small market where I would be the camera operator and the reporter to start out my career because that's what they tell you you're going to have to do is you know, you'll go get a job. You're not going to get a job in a top 25 market. You're going to be out where they have no money and you're going to have to prove yourself. And so I knew I needed to know a camera inside and out and be able to edit. And so football team had a posting in the school newspaper and I applied. The guy reached out to me and let me know that I would have a test when I came. So I was terrified of like, all right, how much football can, you know, I'd, I'd followed football. I knew I played three sports growing up, but you know now I'm anxious at the time I was playing rugby for the University of North Carolina, and so I thought there might be some crossover of something, but like you know, <laughs> right. what is he gonna ask me? So I'm studying like the forty six defense and you know just like really deep on football history like so I get there and I've in college I prepared for everything about eight hours before, so this was a really long preparation for most tests that I took while I was in school. I get there and he has. Back then, you know, film was still on beta tapes, big screen. He turns it on. He has the little pointer, the laser pointer, and he gives it to me. And he's like, all right, show me where the line of scrimmage is. It's like, he's not serious, right? Like the line of scrimmage. Like, you know, I'm prepared, like, to ask me, like, all these crazy things. And he wants to know where the, the line of scrimmage is. So I have points line of scrimmage. I'm I'm thinking this is going to get harder. Right. <laughs> and he wants to know which team's on offense and which team's on defense. And so again, I'm I'm batting a thousand right now. I got the first two questions right. And he he <laughs> continues, he asked me a few more questions. And the last question he asked me to identify a safety. I'm like, I have to show I know something. So I was like, would you like a free the free or the strong safety? And so that was the end of the interview. And you know, that's really the environment I came into starting in sports was. You know, none of the guys there had to take it was assumed they understood football. And I had this belittling quiz that was the most casual fan could have passed. And, sure. you know, I'd prepared for hours thinking that I was going to get some really deep, intense test. But that job still pays off today and in, in lots of ways. But it taught me so much. So I filmed every practice in every game from my sophomore year to the year after I graduated at the University of North Carolina I ended up in working in the weight room. Like I, I was at the football facility if I wasn't in class because I just when I become obsessed with something, I'm I'm all in. I got to get a lot of knowledge of the the actual football side of the product. And once you get into the, you know, I worked in in college briefly and and then went into the NFL. And the NFL is a big business, and there's a lot of people here that you don't you don't have to know football to work in the NFL. Like I mean, would it be nice, but like. You could end up working in a space that has nothing to do with football and, and you're marketing a product, right? You don't have to know the ins and outs of like deep coaching football, like, you know, all of that. And so to start on the football side of where literally had to record every play, like I would record all practices. You watch the position drills, you know, the difference in nine on seven and seven on seven and just all of those things and understanding you know, the stress of coaching and like what a Monday's like versus a Thursday and even a Friday, you know, like, you know, Wednesday they say is the longest day in, in football. It's like, it's, it's the tough, you know, Monday's typically a slow day, Tuesday's the off day, Wednesday is when you go hard and then it starts tapering down. And like, you have an appreciation for all of that stuff and you don't have to be told because you, you experienced it. And so, that early work it still pays off today i can talk to coaches in a way i understand them i, I i've been on that side of the business mm-hmm. and so it's way easier to relate and to move forward fast interestingly our head coach arthur smith was a player when i was a, a senior i think arthur was a freshman at north carolina so i've known him since his freshman year of college, so that's paying off in that sense too. Sure, of where you get to see a familiar face in the building, but you know, more so, it's it pays off just in having the respect that I understand football too. Like I, I'm doing fan journey work, but I can understand the product and the core product, and that that has been super helpful. Mm-hmm. And so that that's really how I got my start. Once I went into that space, you know. I fell in love with the team side of sports Mm. and that's really what changed my, my course from, I went there to learn journalism. I got there and really just fell in love with the business of sport. And I knew at that time, now we're talking, you know, I've been there 98, 99, 2000, 2001 through to 2002 and professional sports was pretty, was starting to like pick up at that time, as far as from a business collegiate sports still with, saw themselves as amateurs mm-hmm. and were very prideful and especially places like the university of North Carolina were very prideful to not have this corporate lens on them. That's what they would, you know, they did and that they were still, you know, the amateur sports place. And so when you start looking for, for career opportunities, like I knew that professional sports would have a lot more growth and opportunity. And so as I was wrapping up my, my senior year, the year before us everyone graduated with incredible jobs we were in in the triangle research triangle park and that area was a big place in the dot-com boom yep and then when my (laughs) class graduated we were the big place in the dot-com bust yeah and so the class before us went and got paid and then we all came out it's like all right what are we going to do with this diploma that like the the economy is on a and not the same place. So it was perfect time to go back to grad school. Sure. (laughs) And so I made that decision that, you know what, I'm just going to go to grad school. So then I had to take the GRE and all those things. So I stayed on campus for another year to prepare for the GRE and to get ready and apply for grad school. And so I spent one additional year at North Carolina after I graduated and worked in the business office. So really that's the the finance team. And my finance people uh, here at AMBSE would probably be They don't see me as a fellow finance person, but I I had a year in finance and really enjoyed my time working with that team and then applied to grad school and really had three places I was targeting. Yeah. University of North Carolina was all about collegiate athletics. So I knew I wouldn't go there. It wasn't wasn't a place that I was was trying to go. I I knew I wanted to be in the NFL. And so I picked the University of Florida because they had a joint law degree program. And I had looked at going to Portland for. The Nike correlation at Oregon and then the University of Georgia, because I had a lot of respect for Georgia. It was in the SEC. They had a a solid sports management program and they had big football. They weren't big football that they are today. They were just starting to like win again, but decided I was going to the University of Georgia and went to UGA in 2002. And that was the first year they won the SEC championship. So it was really cool to just see some differences from the University of North Carolina to the University of Georgia, and was able to meet someone there who connected me to the Houston Texans and the start of that franchise. And did my graduate internship with the Texans and was there for a year. And that was the year that Janet Jackson did halftime at Super Bowl. That was the year that we had a streaker on the field. It was a very exciting Super Bowl. And then I kind of went out into the search of a full time job and. The crazy thing is that next year, the Texans offered me a full-time job in a customer service department, and I'm really a planner, like you will see. Like, I like to see change. I like strategic things. So I left Houston, turned down a full-time job with the Texans, and decided that I was going to pursue a career in journalism. I got a job with a sports radio talk show out of camden south carolina a lot of times we do this in relationships i don't know how many people do it in jobs but you see what you want to see you ignore the red flags right like you and so this was a sporting news network station i knew enough about what i was getting into but maybe ignored some of the things or excitement of what it could be and so you know they sold me on AM radio. People don't turn it off. Like they're used to listening to commercials. So they they stay there, all the things like, and I interviewed and, and got a show on this station with another guy who I think was from Ohio. And so I'm like, this will just be my start. I'll do this for, you know, and then parlay this into something else. I got there the first day I'd never been there. Like I'd already turned down the Texans. I moved from Houston back across the country And I get there and the station has been off air for a year. Like the station itself is like rough, rough. Think of something that's been closed down for a year, like that kind of rough. They were working out of an apartment complex. The station was at the top end of the dial. And on AM radio signal strength, you know, the station was over 1100. And signal strength is determined by your, your number. So the higher you are, the less distance it travels unless you're a grandfather den station from you know decades ago that signal strength is strong even if it's even if it's a higher number we were neither of those things we were a high number with no grandfather in uh signal and so like you have to sell ads for your show to get it on air so i'm still like all right i can do this like and i got to the eastern side of columbia which is the closest side to camden i'm in a tent shop And I've convinced the guy, like, this is it. I've told him all the things. And he's like, I think he's just buying ads from me out of empathy. They weren't that expensive. And he's like, just get her out of my hair. So he's like, all right, what's the station again? So I tell him and he goes to turn it on and it won't come on his station. And this is the closest part of Columbia, which is where my revenue is going to come from. And they can't pick up the station at that point i knew i was defeated and the texans had called me two days before and asked are you sure you don't want this job and i was i told her i was like i'm not a quitter i have to give this two months like i have to give it two months like i believe and then two days later this happens with this tent shop and so i call her back and i was like is there any chance the job is still open and she's like i'm sorry we offered it to someone last night from dc If they don't take it, it's yours, but we have to give them time to respond. And of course, I'm the only person that turns down their first ever job in the NFL without having a job. And that was my, you know, that's what I went to grad school for, gotten all kinds of debt for. So I went and packed up by 1995 Mitsubishi Eclipse, left the dryer, washer and dryer, just left. I don't know what happened to it. I never went back. And drove home to my parents. And that was the most humbling and depressing time of my life. Like, you know, I've got a master's degree. I've worked a Super Bowl. And I didn't come from a family that, you know, going to college was common. I was the first person to go away for undergrad. So now I'm back at mom and dad's and I love my brother to death. He's always been there for me in whatever way he could. And so I get back and I don't know what I'm going to do because I I don't have a job. So my brother is, he's my younger brother. He's four years younger than me. And so he's about 20 years old at this point. He's like, well, you can mow lawns with me till till you figure out what you're going to do. And, you know, I probably wasn't his best valued employee. There was probably other people uh, that he could have paid that did better. But for a couple of weeks, I helped my brother mow lawns and i remember we were at this fancy subdivision and the homeowners came out to offer us drinks it was hot it was summertime so he says this is my sister cuz i think he'd been working on the house and now i show up like who's this person so they start talking and they ask me what i'm going to i told him i was going to work in the nfl and they look at me like i have i'm i'm weed eating like i have <laughs> grass all over me i'm dirty and they're looking at me like this poor she's Bless her heart, you know that's like hey, the that, southern phrase so of like, sweet. no, she's not. Like that's <laughs> it's good to have dreams, but like let's be a little realistic. And so, I always remember that moment of standing there, and I know they're like, no shot. So eventually, it's, I I take an internship with the Panthers to get me back into the NFL and work with them. I drove three hours each way on weekends, so I was working at State Farm Insurance. They they hired me back, my college employer to be a receptionist while I figured something out and their daughter lived in Charlotte. And so I would drive on Friday night down to stay at his daughter's house. And then I would work the Panthers game on Sunday and then I would drive back Sunday night and work at the insurance agency Monday morning. And I did that for a season because I knew if I got out of the NFL, it was going to be hard for me to get back in. Like, you got to keep that on your resume. It's got to be current. And I was willing to do whatever it took to keep it current. And I knew I'd invested too much to walk away from it. And so during that year, I interviewed with the Cleveland Browns. They flew me up and they decided to hire someone who was working at the Indians that was local and already had contacts within, in the market. And I, you know, I left to get away from home, just to not be back cuz i felt like being at home like i could get trapped that like yeah i need to get back out and like not become comfortable not give up on my hopes and so i took a job with octagon out of connecticut on their drive for the cure program just to get me i mean i interviewed for like 16 octagon jobs and they were all part time like limited term jobs and decided to take the drive for the cure program So I was on the road, we were moving a fleet of 20 cars across the country, town by town with breast cancer logos on them. So when I was in New Orleans, of all places, I interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. During that time, Algie Crumpler played at the University of North Carolina on the team that I worked for. And he was a pro bowl tight end here at the Falcons during that time period. And uh, a job became posted. I sent my resume to Algie. He took it up gave it to someone. They called me for an interview. I interviewed with the Falcons sitting by a drink machine in a hallway of a hotel on Bourbon street. That was my first interview. And then I got a second interview and fortunately we went from new Orleans into Alabama and then we're coming to Atlanta. So I was able to schedule my in-person interview as we came through Atlanta with the fleet of cars. And so, you know, I believe a lot of life is luck and timing. And if you look at this cross section and just crazy. Yeah. And so had a great interview here with Jim Smith and Roddy white and Sarah Smith. And I remember feeling pretty desperate as that interview was wrapping. I felt like, you know, this is my one shot. So, as it was wrapping up, you know, just drafted Michael Vick. He was in his prime, he had just come off of the NFC championship. So, I'm sitting there. I remember the conference room and the glass table. And, you know, they ask you if you have any questions or comments. And I told him, I was like, look, I know I don't have a full time job, I don't have full time experience. But we, you just finished the draft and they had drafted Roddy White that year, who, who was a receiver that went on to play here for years and years. And it's like, as you're looking at your draft pick, whether it was Michael Vick or Roddy White, you don't look at what have they done. You look at the potential that they have. And I promise you, if you draft me in this in this role, you will not regret, you know, looking back on it. And like. They probably don't remember the closing speech, but it felt like I felt all of the emotion of like, if this doesn't work out, I don't know what I'm doing because, you know, it was kind of like the end of your rope of what you felt. and I I felt I was going to end up back doing something that wasn't the the dream or or what I'd gone to school for. So I went back and started moving the BMWs again and uh, got to South Florida and I got a call. The story of how I got here is way more exciting than the than the the 19 years as I've been here 19 years. So that's, I lived in five states the year before I moved to Georgia and felt like I was going to be a little bit of that nomad lifestyle. And then now I've been in with the Atlanta Falcons and AMBSC since 2005.
0: Oh my gosh. It's so interesting listening to you talk about that story and I'll call them Godwings, like little things where like doors were closed and to your point, like the way you tell it is so powerful of it almost flies in the face of logic. And yet you were very clear when you made your choice, why you were doing what you were doing and just how things timed out and very serendipitously of where you were going to be and, and having a connection that was at the team. Like it's just, there was so many pieces there where it is, it's, it's, it's so wonderful to be able to look back at a story and connect the dots of how all the dominoes fell Especially when in the moment and in the time, it is painful and mm-hmm. scary and humbling. And at the time, like I'm sure right, it was very real that like this dream that you had been pursuing was, you know, and probably felt like it was slipping through your fingers quickly.
1: It felt worse than slipping through your fingers. It felt like I had discarded it and I realized I, yeah. you know, when you drop your cell phone in the trash can at the fast food restaurant or your keys and that sense of like, oh no, like. Can I get them back? It was in my hands. And they even called and asked, Are you sure? And I said, No. And now, what have I done? I'm an idiot. Like, I didn't have the family backing to be able, like, there wasn't going to be my parents calling someone. It wasn't, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, you see, ways interns get into organizations. Like, I didn't have that. So I had to create that. And The former president of the Houston Texans, Jamie Roots, who passed away um, recently, he was a huge help for me during this time. And I was an intern. It's crazy to think, like he he was part of my interview panel when I interviewed with the Texans. You know, he he helped me get that connection to the Panthers that helped me stay employed and in the organization. And I had coaches from college, whether it was John Bunning helping me with the Dom tapers at the Panthers or my network that I met putting out an olive branch for me or doing something to to help with that access that I wasn't born with or or didn't have that that network naturally. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for all of those that, you know, they they talk about people are self-made. And I I don't know that I've met a self-made person because by the definition of what we imply is self-made is that you came from a place where you didn't have it given to you. And from my experience, you need a lot of help from those spaces. And I've been fortunate for people along the way to to look out or offer, you know, to shoot an email or make a phone call and, and those things. And, and that is that has been definitely something that, that has helped me navigate my career.
0: You connected a dot for me because I mentioned to you when we got on here before we hit record that... When you go and look Tamika up, if you go to her LinkedIn profile, there's a video there of her team for her 15 year anniversary. And it's really beautiful because there are multiple people who reference Tamika seeing their potential and taking a chance on them. And it makes now I understand because your kind of closing remarks to secure your job—I would imagine—powerfully securing your job with the Atlanta Falcons was all about looking at where you could go as opposed to what you had already done. So maybe in that vein, I'm really curious because I, you know that was something that you wanted the leaders that were bringing you into to take into consideration, how as a leader do you think about that when you're looking at people to bring now into your organization?
1: Yeah, I actually just spoke to someone in the past two weeks and talking about an opportunity. And uh, I told him like, look, I want you to understand how I, I operate. And my ask is that you come here, do this job and put your heart into it. Give us your best. And if you give us your best and you do that, I will give you my best in helping you advance your career, whether that's here or somewhere else. I don't want associates not talking to me about their career goals. I don't want a person that sees an opportunity that's not here and they can't, they're applying without telling me and they they feel like they're sneaking. No, I want to advocate for you. And most of all, I want to I want to promote people here, but that's not realistic for everyone. And so when that's not realistic for everyone, it drives me crazy when leaders don't understand that the best thing I can do is grow you. If you if you worked for me, then I grow you. If I keep you in your space, I'm making you miserable. You become a disgruntled employee and all of those behind you have no opportunity to grow. So I'm ruining the whole ecosystem. But if I grow you, and whether I grow you here or I grow you somewhere else, then you become a a disciple, a role model of all those things of what you can be through coming through this organization. And one of the things I am most proud about in my career is, is having over 80 people. I think now it's probably over 90 or not sure. I haven't done the the count that have come through and have gone on to work in sports somewhere else. And not all of them are still in sports. Some of them, you know, life changes and you move into other industries, but that impact on taking people, teaching them the career. And, you know, when I had an internship program, and, and that's one of the things I hate in my new role is I don't have an internship program that that I oversee because I loved the internship program. Because as a part of that, it wasn't easy. Like I was hard on them. I'll be honest with you. Like I had high expectations out of them. They had to deliver results and, and hit metrics. But I knew if you went through this program and I pulled all the things from all this spaces I've been the driving program they they ran a mobile tour for us and I knew if they went through that program and they understood and ran their own business through that program of running that shop they would go out and kill it against anyone they interviewed no one would be able to compete with them in an interview based on a, an internship where you go and you ship packages and you like I wanted them to have real responsibility that I could catapult them above their peers starting out of the gate and I feel like, and coming from a sports background, like a lot of times we understand these kind of illustrations as it relates to sports. That's what a coach does. Like I expect the coach in the offseason is pushing us, they're pushing us hard. Because if they're not, like you can't handle that level of pushing during the season because you're it would wear you out. It wouldn't be beneficial. Like you have to do that as the buildup. And then when the season goes, you can pull back on those practices. You may not have to run as many suicides. You may not have to do the the work that you did in the in the preseason, right? And for me, like that internship moment is building the foundation on a career that will make them stand out and give them tools that will benefit them for the rest of they'll be in such a fast start that that hopefully they'll continue to advance in a rate that others around them are not. And so for me, I I love to teach, I love to not only do I like to get the best out of our organization, like I like to get the best out of people. And yeah. so if you're not a person that wants to get better, and you're not a person that wants to, you know, probably move fast and move move forward, probably not the person to work for, because we're gonna, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. We We have a book club on my team. And we have a book, we just met on our book club last week, and we're in the middle of the season. Like, like, I want you to be reading and learning and getting better. I'm reading and learning and getting better. Like we're going to do things that, that make us, you know, continue to just in- increase on that, that productivity at, a, at an incremental rate. Like we're not trying. Yeah. You know, I just had one of my associates come up to me and we're looking at a a report he was doing and, you know, he's making changes, looks great. And, like I don't think I can fix everything in one. I'm I mean, like, it's not about fixing. It. You know, we'll send it out. We'll look at it as, and then the next one, we'll we'll look at where where they're like, what you've done is great in that area. Now let's take another area and look at how we can make that better.
0: I love that you mentioned it earlier, but that progress, not perfection, and like that whole like get out, get feedback, and then you know iterate on it. Um, so instead of waiting until it's great to get it out, and yes, building strong foundations, like. What a powerful skill to teach somebody of the importance of, yes, it is hard and yes, it is a standard of excellence, but to your point, catapulting people in their careers and also teaching them the importance of strong fundamentals that they can leverage for the rest of their lives. And I'm so curious, you mentioned you have a book club. You mentioned Atomic Habits at the beginning. What book did you just finish reading?
1: One that I did again this summer that I was going to talk about is Failing Forward. I got to go to uh, the NFL program with Stanford this summer for a week and I could go back to school a hundred times and probably enjoy it. You know, way, I feel like I enjoy school way more now than I did when I was actually in school. Like sure. <laughs> you know, I hated costs when I was in it, but now that was an incredible program and opportunity. But one of the really powerful things they do at Stanford is prototyping mm-hmm. and, you know, in the prototype, one of the challenges, and especially someone like me who struggles with with perfection of like let's get it perfect, is allowing it. You want it to go out fast and fail fast. One cool example is you know they were trying to figure out a traffic intersection and how to make it better, and you know they went out with combs and created a, a roundabout with like just basically signage, and a lot of times we're afraid to do something that messy. We don't want the public facing part to look better than that. We don't roll roll out something that well what they're going to think? What are they doing? What if what if the next time they come it doesn't look like that and we did something else? They're going to think we're confused. I think being okay with with progress is a really impactful way to run your life because there's if, if you look at what Stanford outputs as it relates to their 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 business goal, is incredible. Like if you go search people's background and who went to, through business school there, it's absolutely amazing. And I think that cultural shift of mindset of like, let's fail fast and learn from it and come back and do something else. Yeah. And, you know, really love failing forward and just a lot of the the stuff that it talks about there. And I read Dopamine Nation a couple of months mm-hmm. ago that resonated with me a lot because I'm built- off of dopamine, you know, the red light on my phone drives me crazy. I can't let it go. Like I, I get anxiety when I see someone's phone and says they have more than a hundred emails. Like I don't want to go to sleep at night till I've turned off all the red dots on my phone. And I had to turn off some of them permanently where I can't see them because it was like driving me that crazy. And so dopamine nation is incredible when it talks about just how as a society we have been wired and how people are playing off of, off of that need for that high and how pain is good. And that that's a powerful thought that we need to experience pain. Like that is that we can't camouflage everything. And, you know, mental health is really important to me and understanding it and being a leader that's empathetic to it, being a person that's aware of my own. And I think there's not enough conversation around mental health. I know over the last couple of years, it's been a, a a little bit of a conversation but i i do think the pandemic hurt us worse from a mental health standpoint than it did from any other standpoint like it was really bad if we see the numbers on covid and the deaths that came from that are terrible but i think if we looked at all and it's hard to measure the mental health damage that was done by having that pandemic but you know people were isolated by themselves addictions went up at a at a rate we can't measure yeah, the, the pandemic was really interesting in that it amplified what existed
0: already. Like speaking of foundations, it, it it exposed cracks in foundations where they existed and things kind of went from bad to worse. And um, in other cases, things, you know, really great things came through. And I think I was just looking back at notes that I had that in 2021, I think it was something like 43% of people reported severe states of burnout. You know, we're going to talk about how and half- the population is experiencing burnout. And so, yes, it's it's definitely <laughs> the pandemic was and still is a very interesting time and it will be interesting in years to come. I'm sure the research that w- when we have more longitudinal data to be able to kind of see what the what the impacts really were over the course of time. I would be remiss if I don't ask you this because you, you gave us this beautiful story coming into the Atlanta Falcons. And then you have, I just want to, I'm going to read it out. Because I think for everyone listening, I really want them to get a sense for just how remarkable your journey has been here. Because you started out when you came to the Falcons, you started out in client services coordinator, then you moved into senior client services role, then you became manager of corporate partnerships, the director of corporate partnerships, and then VP of corporate partnerships, where you moved from the Atlanta Falcons now to you were overseeing all of AMB, which was a big move, and then VP for game and events. And then now you're the SVP for the fan and associate experience. So if I'm kind of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven promotions in your time within this organization, whenever I see that, that tells me that there's, there's something that that individual does to effectively navigate and communicate about their career. I would love to hear how you have approached your career and and even strategies that you've used that have allowed you to be the name or the person that
1: is able to take the opportunity when it, when it presents itself. So a couple of things, when I started, we were a very small shop. So Mm -hmm. almost every time I've got a promotion, the job I went into didn't exist. And, you know, one, I didn't have a job to aspire to, but two, Mm. The business grew and I grew with the business. And so I I came in and in some ways a difficult time, in some ways an incredible time. For some people, it's hard to be in a place where you can't see what can be your next step. And that can be very challenging for some. And, you know, I I try not to let it limit me. You know, I um, really look at things more like let's make a deal in life rather than having goals, right? Just pick the best door. like. Don't get focused on, on too far down the future. Just pick the best door. And if you open it and there's a goat, start a goat farm. Like, I can't see the future. And I think uh, one thing that happened early in my life that that really caused me to struggle with the work goals was my freshman year in college, I had two friends were killed that year. And one of them in a car accident and one was murdered. Actually, I had three friends that year, another another car, two car accidents, And my college roommate was scared to live with me because she's like, well, (laughs) this person, you know, I don't want to know her. Things are going really bad right now. But when you realize at a young age, you're not promised tomorrow, today means a whole lot. Yeah, I had a guy talking to me last night or two nights ago who had worked with me and knows me pretty well. And he was just talking about how I approach life very intentional and the intentionality. And we didn't go through all all of all of this, but I, I do think when you realize young that you got to make this life count. You never know. I didn't get to say goodbye to any of the three of them. Their parents didn't get to say goodbye to any of the three of them. So when you realize you're not promised today that life is a gift, for me, I, I take every day seriously. And I take every day seriously if we're playing kickball I take every day seriously if, you know, we are trying to figure out traffic congestion. And I take every day seriously if I'm, you know, going to a a third world country working on uh, anti-human trafficking stuff. And so I think I'm a little wired that way. And things that have happened in my life have also caused me to be more intentional. And so as I've moved, like, you know, I, I advise people all the time. Do the job you want in the job that you have if somebody will let you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was at the Texans as an intern, I wrote for the website and I worked with corporate partnerships. you got to get your core job done. You can't be skipping your original assignment. You have to be doing like your that is your baseline. That's table stakes. That's what you're hired for. But if you want to change and you want to progress, take on more. And I did that. And every time I've done that, like it's paid off you know, I think you would ask about making the change from, so I was in corporate partnerships for 15 years here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I felt I was doing really well at corporate partnerships had done this a long time, had grown with that business. So I was one of the more senior in the NFL, uh, senior in, in sports within corporate partnerships. And I could have rode that ship till I retired. I could have had a, Pretty easy, like existence, in that I knew what I was doing. I would always have a job in it, whether I worked for this team or another team or a client. Like I knew corporate partnerships, and I had a, a good reputation in 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 my space. But again, I'm a lifelong learner. I want to grow, and my growth started becoming from which clients we sign versus jobs. So that's not to say there was no stress. There was plenty of stress, but the day to day. I wasn't, I might be learning details about a business, but I wasn't learning. I wasn't growing. And so I'd expressed that to leadership that, you know, look, I'm, I want to do something. I'd interviewed, um, at a couple other places for different types of opportunities, but I loved it here. And I didn't want to lose the culture and the values of this place that I love so much and that aligns with me personally. And so I'd ask, like, if you have any, like, give me any, you know, just tell me if you've got something. Well. When you put things in the universe, you have to be ready when someone calls you on it. Right. And so I'll never forget the conversation in the middle of the pandemic, still working from home. And I get a call from our CEO and it's like, hey, would like you to take over all events at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Like you do, you know, and at that time I was running any kind of special. So I planned the Super Bowl parties, planned the owner's party. So I was already doing event work. They knew I could do event work, but they wanted me to change game day for the Atlanta Falcons specifically, and that had been something that voice of the fan is is our metric the NFL measures is on, and they wanted to get us up to where we had a home field advantage at Mercedes Benz Stadium, and we were scoring in the top you know twenty five percent of the NFL in game day satisfaction scores. and it was a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock, and he's like, "You can think about it for like a week let's let's talk about it." I'm like, I hang up the phone. I was like, well, one, I can't say no. Like, I have asked for an opportunity, so I can't say no. So my answer is that once. Yeah. I've learned from that. Not gonna do that. My answer has to be yes, but like I may work myself out of a job. Like, what if I can't do this? So when I was in college at UNC, I, I also worked for the Carolina Hurricanes in production. I did video for UNC, but I worked in in in-game production for the Carolina Hurricanes. So I had like four years experience working in a control room. So I I knew the area, but it had been, you know, I was in college, I was doing that for a check. Like I was doing that for like, (laughs) you know, the hundred bucks they paid me to drive to Raleigh and to get experience and get it on the resume. But I I wasn't doing it to learn the whole business though. Like that in 20 years I could run a control room. Like, no, this was, you know, this was the college job. And it's crazy how life, I believe, and if you believe in God or not, I believe that God gives us opportunities prepares prepare us for our future. And that opportunity was meaningful. It was four years. It wasn't wasted. And I didn't know at that time that I was going to need that. And I would be calling on that knowledge 20 years later, maybe more than 20 years later. Yeah, it was even 22 years later. So go through the process. And I tell, you know, I speak to several of our leaders and I tell them, yes, I would love to do this. But I told him I was like, I need your back to support me because this is going to be different. like I need to know that and I think that's that's one thing to a lot of times women want to be specifically and all people to a degree, but really women they want to make sure that they can do it at MVP level before they say yes. And I felt that, but I knew that wasn't possible like you know I I one we we needed to do a lot of. Uh, of changes and and we had to hire staff and all that it wasn't gonna it was gonna be messy at the beginning like it it was and we were in a pandemic so I took over events right in the middle of a pandemic when we can't have events. We at the time I took it over we weren't even having events yet. Right. And so like you're you know and we're still thinking that like we'll get a comeback and it'll be normal. And then after I take it over realize that no it's not gonna be normal. Like this thing is here. Like it's gonna be here and so then you know you're you're doing things that you didn't even when you said yes to it you didn't know you're going to run a vaccination clinic you didn't know that you were going to have a runoff election you didn't know all of these things and that you wouldn't actually get to do the work that you thought you were saying yes to for about 18 months so it was one of the biggest risks that I've taken in my life i think uh, the the risk I took as an intern was bigger than this i took the i took the uh, the risk that that could have derailed my my whole career then but you know I had a career if I lost the job here I would have gotten a job somewhere else at that point I I had established enough of a brand that I would have gotten another job but like it felt like I had this thing in this place that I was so stable and now I've stepped into this space where it was not stable like it there was just a lot of stuff going on like stuff you could control stuff you couldn't control we had to come back to the office from being out of the office like just things that were were challenging. And I have to give, you know, a lot of kudos to our leadership for keeping their word of of supporting me through all of that. You know, some days were tough, but ultimately, you know, and and Steve Cannon, our CEO, like I just have so much respect for him after that process because some days I would be stressed and I would come in and talk to him. And even when there was something bad going on, the way his calmness and how he would talk back, I learned so much about when the, when I'm on the other side of the table, when I'm in his seat and there's a me on the other side, like how do you give them space? How do you, you know, encourage them to stay the course? And, you know, Rich McKay has been a great leader for me for years. Tim Zalowski, I was working for Deepmar at the time, like, but in that moment, I would have check-ins with Steve and just the respect of him going through that meant a ton to me that we're going to get through this. It's going to be, and, you know, advocating for things. And, and so those are the things that I try to pick up in the journey is like, when I experience something I'm obsessed with, I used to think I, I've had a lot of career thoughts in my head. i am not actualized any of these, but used to, my roommate and I used to joke that we were going to on a massage, like a spa. And I would as I was getting a massage, I would think, "Oh, if we did it, I like that." You know, and you keep notes in your head of like, "Oh, that's yes, a like, yes. that's a great technique," or "Not that." And I try to do that with my career, right? Is when I experience something, whether it's good or bad, like yes. I do not ever want to be that. And sometimes some of that's come from me, right? I've I've had a learning lesson where it's like, I don't want to do that again. That didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go, and and I need to do something different. But when you see a leader that exemplifies traits that you enjoy as a follower. How do you put that into your toolkit? And so I don't think leadership is ever something you reach. You know, there's one of my favorite books is um, Getting More by Stuart Diamond. And he talks about negotiating that negotiating is you're always negotiating, you're negotiating for time, you're negotiating for, for space. And just how you talk to people how you learn and taking emotions out of things and those are the things like as a leader that that i try to implement i try to to understand that that this is a journey and one thing that stewart says if if you and i are talking the dynamic changes the moment another person enters the room Mm -hmm. and so you may think you're a great negotiator you may think you're a great leader it's all about people. And so if another person comes in, I may be a great leader to you. I may be a great negotiator to you. But if it's a different person, I may not be the right person. And I think realizing that that there's matches, like there's styles. And sometimes we try to force matches that that aren't. And it's not in either person's best interest to do that. So being intentional... And authentic in the hiring process of who you are, what you expect, so that you give people the best chance to survive. And then, you know, also treating people as individuals. I try to be really individualistic about how I approach leadership and try to understand the differences and the nuances of my team and what it takes to motivate one is not going to be the same thing it takes. Some people like teasing, some people that would horrify them. You know, some people like public accolades, some people want a handwritten note just using what best motivates, you know, the book drive is incredible about that and talking about, you know, we all have motivators. We all have things that drive us. And if you don't understand your people's drive, if you don't know what that is, you're not going to be able to lead them effectively. Mm-hmm. And that's really my, my leadership kind of principles. Oh, I love that. You know, it's,
0: it's perfect as normally at the end, I will ask, you know, if you want to leave, you know, listeners with, with a piece of advice that you've learned along the way or something that someone told you, and that was, I didn't even tee you up, but that was the perfect way to kind of wrap this up. Cause I, I, I love it. I love it so much. And so many pearls of wisdom around meeting people where they're at and understanding what's most important to them and tailoring to them. And, and even I think calling out the importance of both as the interviewer and as you're interviewing that authenticity to identify a match and that there could be great people and great organizations and they don't always belong together. And I just, I think that that's so great because it, it doesn't, it, it takes the rejection. It's not personal. It, it means that you're meant to be somewhere else. There's a better fit for you. You just, this is not it. And there's still very much value to be given. So I, ah, Tamika, this has just been so amazing. It's been such a treat. You are the first person that I have gotten the opportunity to interview that it has had such a prominent and prolific career in the sports industry. And so this has just been so wonderful to hear the backstory hear how you have built this amazing career, how you think about building teams. And I, it'll be so fun to continue watching. And as a Diehard Falcons fan. It's even more fun now knowing this incredible woman that is behind the experience. So
1: I just thank you so much for being here and being part of Rising Tide. Well, thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for pulling for the Falcons. We we'll, we need all the fans we can get as we as we get through this season. Shout out to the the entire team because it's it's it takes like I said it takes all of us and hopefully uh, we've got more to celebrate at the end of this. Uh, From the voice of the fan to our record and, and, and overall, but thank you for having me and, and best of luck on, on, on your next ones.
0: This was such an incredible marrying of two worlds. Here was this amazing, brilliant woman that I got to have this incredible conversation with and learn about how she approaches leadership, how she has approached her career, how she thinks about relationships, how she's willing to take risks in her career and also She's the woman behind one of my all-time favorite sports teams. Pretty freaking cool. If you enjoy this conversation with Tamika and want to connect, I encourage you reach out, let her know the impact this episode had on you and shoot her a note. I want to say a big thank you to Josh Reedford for all the work he does every week to bring these episodes to life. And last but never least, thank you to this amazing community I am so grateful that you are here, that you continue showing up for yourselves until next week, y'all keep rising.